you guys a particularly tired Ron here. Um, 33 minutes, if you want to skip the off topic. Just jump ahead to about 33 minutes. Thanks for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 134th episode of What the Fuck Are We Talking About? Uh, I am here with Mr. Ariel. And see, I always do this. I say uh, Brazaban. Is that right? Yeah, that works. That's, that's it? No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, no, no. Is it like the actual, like, is what's the pronunciation of that name? Brazaban. Brazaban. Yeah. It's Pretty like people... Saying Rachel Ghoul, Razal Ghoul. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> Either one is okay. That's uh Alves. We've we've gone back and forth. He just kind of becomes Alves by default, but his actual name is uh oh god. Uh Alves or something. Like it has like a SH. I probably yeah. fucked that up too. I don't know. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit different in the pronunciation. But he sort of just becomes Alves. Um, how's uh how's your week been? It's been all right. Nothing out of the ordinary so far. Super excited to see the Batman this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've been hearing some really good reviews so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, throughout the course of the day, it's like I think the Rotten Tomato score started at like a 96 and I was like, oh man. And then throughout the course of the day, it's like steadily declined, but it's still certified really? fresh. Yeah, it's down to like an 87% now. But Weird. yeah, but you know, the thing about it is there's always like a core group of critics that are just never, they don't like the character and they're never going to be happy. So, and there's a core group of critics that are like, Oh, we really like movies, but if you ask us to sit here for three hours, all we're going to focus on is how we sat here for three hours. Like that's taking us way out of the out of enjoyment range. Like I want to be out of here in 90 minutes, you know, and that's always a thing. So I'm not really um, I'm not really that surprised, uh, given that this one's like pushing that three hour uh, runtime. So I uh, it's expected. I think, but all the stuff that I'm hearing from the good reviews is all the stuff that I, I don't give a shit about runtime at all. I love Batman as a character, so that's fine. And everything that I'm hearing from people that are giving it good reviews is all the stuff that I'm hoping for. So I'm pretty excited. Good shit. Good shit. I, some of my favorite things are, are how many people are coming back with like, it's, pretty much a horror movie you know oh, i fucking love that yeah oh, it's just like oh. i did that yeah kind of off topic another horror superhero movie have you seen the movie brightburn i did see brightburn yeah, yeah. what do you think about that 
Um, I, I mean, it's, it's such a no brainer of a story to tell. Like, it's such a smart question to ask, like, you know, something like Superman happened and there was something wrong with that child. Well, what would have happened? Like, how, how would that go? And it's, uh, it's pretty sobering, you know, it's pretty scary. Um, I, uh, I definitely thought it was really fun uh in that like dark and disturbing way and it didn't hold back on violence um and like really leaning into the the gory kind of slasher movie villain thing which was a little bit surprising to me um kayla and i can't speak for her fully but my understanding is that kayla is not a fan of that movie oh really hated it yeah (laughs) if my memory serves me right um but i thought it was good i also was really encouraged by at the end of that movie they're showing like news a news report Mm -hmm. about all of these superheroes that are rising up and they showed like like a witch that was being burned at the stake that was supposed to represent like wonder woman Mm -hmm. they showed like uh like an underwater like sea creature monster which was supposed to represent like aquaman and then there was a bit of like a red blur blurry character i'm I'm thinking that's supposed to be the flash i thought that would be like fucking amazing if they went on and made like a whole like dark dc universe that would have been insane like i'm still hoping like fingers crossed that they do that because that would be like fucking mind blown the um that red character actually is much more akin to batman there is a movie that exists and it's actually meant to be that's an easter egg for that other movie um and that other movie i'm a huge fan of if you've ever seen super uh i don't believe i have check out super (laughs) it's like it's so good it's uh it's basically this dude's you know Dwight Trute from The Office? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's him. So he has this wife um, that used to be a drug addict, and she slips back into the lifestyle and winds up basically being seduced by, like, a local drug lord and then leaves Rain Wilson, you know, Dwight Trute, And uh, he's trying to figure out, like, how do I get my self-respect back? How do I save my wife? And how do I clean up crime? And he basically lands on, like, I need to become a superhero. And it's fucking awesome. And it's like, it's it's James Gunn. So the guy that did Guardians of the Galaxy and the Suicide Squad. Um, But, like, it's hilarious. Like, his first night out... He tries to like tackle a drug dealer and he winds up getting into like a fight on the ground. His mask gets all turned around and he's realizing like, oh man, I'm not like as tough as I thought I would be. He's like, how does like a normal person become a superhero? So he goes back to the comic book store where actually um, Elliot Page is working and uh, asks about human characters in comic books and he's directed to things like Batman and uh he basically realizes like oh i need to have a gadget like all of these human characters have some weapon that makes them better uh at fighting criminals 
and <laughs> in coming up with a gadget he finds like a like a plumber's wrench like a big monkey wrench and yeah. then they show him like doing a test at home and he's drawn like a face on a watermelon and he smashes it and it's like <laughs> it just crumples into a million pieces and he's like ha you know yeah, and then like the one. <laughs> next night <laughs> they show the drug dealer standing on the street and he's like counting money or whatever and all of a sudden he hears hey and he turns around and rain wilson's standing there in the superhero outfit and the guy's like, son of a bitch. And then he raises the plumber's wrench, and just cracks the dude in the fucking face. And then he's just going around <laughs> town and anybody doing anything is just getting cracked in the head with the plumber's wrench. Jesus it's like fucking nuts. <laughs> so good. So Are good. you really the good guy here? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's fucking fantastic. Like it is the most twisted, fucked up movie. Um and what I always appreciate about it is something that I try to emulate with things that I work on is like, I want stuff that, especially when I do kind of like comedies or like really offbeat genre things, it's like, I want you to get absorbed in the characters and just be along for the ride and kind of having a good time. And then kind of in the final act, I want you to realize I want you to have like a really visceral emotional response and be like, oh my God, I didn't realize I was getting that invested in these people. And I didn't think I was going to get emotional, you know, in the last 20 minutes of the thing. And uh, man, Super does that. Like Super is a movie that I can watch when I'm like, I need a good cry, you know, because it yeah. gets to that point and you're just like, fuck, man. It's like, it, it's in the it's it, you know i i like superheroes and um it's kind of a love letter to just like the the comic book vigilante but it also is uh you know it's a it's a lot of questions about people that are kind of displaced and forgotten and how they they seek out meaning you know um, and this character kind of finds his meaning by becoming this, you know, uh, this morally ambiguous Avenger, you know. Um, right. Yeah. So it's it's a good, it's a good movie. Highly recommend. Um, so since the last time we recorded. Um, the world has started to end. It's the oh, the oh. final season of Earth, and uh, it's pretty outstanding. Uh, and I feel like maybe we could like talk a little bit about uh, our feelings about everything that's going on. I, I don't know. I mean, how are you holding up in the pre-nuclear wasteland? Uh, um, to be honest, I haven't heard much news. Every you know, here and there, I see some articles, read mm -hmm. through it, but I haven't heard all the facts of course i mean none of us probably have but i've just you know here and there hear things you know yeah. what I'm saying? i mean it's weird because if it wasn't for the internet it would feel like any other normal time you probably mm -hmm. be like oh yeah no no everything's good yeah. but uh it's just like the weight of like for me i've always had kind of a concern and a fairly unfounded concern up until recently about the idea of uh, nuclear weapons and stuff like that. And it's kind of been something that has 
uh, in my in my dreams, nuclear bomb blasts have been uh, probably one not a necessarily recurring motif, but at least a uh, one of the ones that stands out the most. You know, yeah, I mean, it's it's scary. I mean, oh, like, you know, like once you get a warning, like you'll never see it coming. It's fucking wipe out multiple towns multiple cities seconds yeah yeah so i you know right now the way that like (laughs) the way that somebody like vladimir putin talks and goes hey if anybody tries to interfere with us attacking ukraine uh you will see a response unlike any response that has been seen in history and i'm like sounds like okay doesn't it yeah it really (laughs) And it's hilarious, like that we're gonna talk about the Dark Knight Rises because the Dark Knight Rises features like this, like nuclear, like hey, we're taking over the city. If anybody fucks with us, we're gonna blow up a nuke. And it's like Jesus Christ, how timely, you know? Like, good, perfect. Um, <laughs> Did you plan this, Ron? You plan this like that? I have been in direct communication with Vladimir Putin for a while. <laughs> I always I suspected. Like, I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said. I said, look, we're doing this thing on WT Fada, all right, and it would help us out if you could, first of all, name drop us, which he has not done yet, and I'm getting a little bit annoyed. I, I'm I'm waiting. Uh, but it's, you know, if I said it would line up really nice, it'd be a good, like, real-life tie-in for us to talk about, you know, The Dark Knight Rises with. And he said, I will be happy to oblige, and he asked me, which country would you like me to attack? And I said, you know what? Ukraine. Uh, oh, so, thank you know thank me for the uh, horrible events unfolding in the ukraine and you know right after the podcast you can just drop all that stuff you know go back to normal that's right <laughs> yeah. In ukraine. yeah there is an expiration date on all of this and uh so be thankful for that um no i mean i i, I don't know i watch news coverage of it and it just seems like a lot of people were completely taken aback at how crazy this has gotten so quickly because it's only really been like four days and we went from like yeah. yeah people have nukes to like oh no people have nukes you know like it was like a very big change in kind of the the kind of tone of the coverage um and i it's uh it's there's a couple things going on that it's like number one it's fucked up just watching russia roll into a country i'm not saying that america doesn't do that we have okay but it's like i don't know man when was the last time you heard about ukraine they're like a pretty quiet nate like they're not doing anything that you just mind their business yeah so all of a sudden it's like they're the linchpin of like a massive you know potential like we're on the brink of something like a world war and it would be more like a world war if it didn't seem like everyone was turning their back on russia because even china right now is like dude slow down and they're kind of being like you should be like diplomatic and talk this out instead of doing what you're doing which is surprising to me too but i just uh watching this unfold the way that it has and watching it unfold in the age of the internet because like when the uh, Iraq war happened you know and the war in Afghanistan it's like it wasn't as 
there's a couple of things going on. I think part of it is probably suppression of coverage by the U.S. media so that we don't see exactly what's going on. Yeah. Um, this is the first time where like the invasion has happened like on live streams, you know, where you're watching it and you're like, Jesus Christ. And just seeing like Russian armored tanks rolling over grandma's sedan with grandma in it. Yeah. And it's just like, God damn it. Like what the fuck is wrong with these people? Why is this happening? It's it's crazy because like like you said, everyone has social media, so you actually get to see these events happen. Like before, it was just kind of like we knew a war was going on, but you never really saw the the gritty stuff. So it was just kind of it was in the back of your head. But like now, it's like every page you turn to is like every app you open. It's they're talking about Ukraine. So it's like it's very informative. It also makes it very scary and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that footage of the the um, the tank driving over that old woman's vehicle it was just really stunning because you could see the tank be like oh there's a car oh it and went then completely it, out of his way oh god it was just un- i'm pretty sure that's a war crime i think I'm, so yeah 100 percent sure but like <laughs> that seems like something that's a little bit out of bounds a, an attack on one person's grandma's attack on everyone's grandma yeah for us you know yeah yeah that's, that's right <laughs> yeah I'm talking about yeah no, I, I just it's uh it's been incredible to watch it unfold the way that it has and to see just how nonchalant. They're, OK, so here we go. These are the three big takeaways. The 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 uh, the the way that this is being captured on video and disseminated through the Internet. That's number one. Uh, number two is. How intense Ukrainians are, apparently uh because man what a show it's very similar to when the boston bombings happened the boston bombings happened and there have been it it was a unique situation though it was a unique situation in that the bombers were not suicide bombers the bombers left bombs and then took off so we had the opportunity to catch them and a lot of times if there's a suicide bomber you don't get that opportunity you know Mm -hmm. they're dead yeah. Um, but I remember when the Boston mom- Marathon bombing happened, I remember the way that it unfolded felt distinctly uh, Boston to me because it was like the cops literally were like, OK, here's what we're going to do. They were like, we're shutting down everything, everything. And we're asking everybody to just hang out inside and then we're going to sweep through the city, you know. And it was hard to imagine, like, it's difficult for me to imagine if that same thing happened in New York City, um, New York City being down with just shutting everything to a complete standstill. Uh, it's difficult to, for me to imagine other, maybe bigger metropolitan areas being able to do that the way that we did, where it literally everything just stopped. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking about it and being kind of proud of it. Like it's a, it was a very, dis, it felt distinctly like a Massachusetts thing. And it had a certain flavor to it that felt a little bit almost, uh, you know, it was, it was a little bit vindictive, you know, it was, a, and and rightfully so, but it just felt like, okay, you, you heard us 
and now by all means we're going to find you and they did very shortly yeah it was actually amazing yeah and uh so what's happening in ukraine kind of has that same vibe where it's like Russia showed up thought they were just going to roll over everyone and the amount of resistance that they've felt. And you hear, like I heard one of the guys, one of the commanders was being interviewed by a U.S. journalist and the U.S. journalist said, do you even have enough guns to fight them off? And he said, no, but we're going to get more from the Russians. Essentially being like, we're going to kill these fucking guys and we're going to take their shit. And it was just like, wow, like this. I did not hear that. That's crazy. That's hardcore, dude. And I'm listening to it and I'm like, wow, like I wish them the best of luck. And then watching this unfold, I'm like, they don't need luck. Like these these Russians, like it's a different thing. Like a Russian soldier is just following the commands of somebody higher up. And they might not have that personal uh, connection to the conflict. They're just following orders. Whereas somebody that lives in Kiev and has lived there their entire life is like, no, 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 this is my fucking home. You know, they have more at stake and they're going to fight harder. And that's what we're seeing happen. Like hundreds and hundreds of Russian troops being uh, captured and many hundreds more being killed. And like, I don't celebrate you know russian soldiers that are being killed you know necessarily because i don't you know why you are in the military can vary greatly i think the guy that was driving that tank probably is a piece of shit that really wants to hurt people you know Mm -hmm. but i don't know that's not that's a caricature if you tried to apply that to everybody that's a caricature and it probably doesn't hold up under scrutiny it's probably people in there that are just military people because their families were military you know or they are money exactly so yeah you can't know every situation yeah so i'm not i'm happy to see ukraine fighting off the kind of whims of a dictator in putin um i'm not happy that anybody is involved in this situation which is terrible you know i mean War is terrible. Um, And then the third thing that's a takeaway is the coverage of this. And I don't know how the U.S. Like, I've watched U.S. media, but again, I I don't know if it's a little bit different. But I saw, like, a compilation of European journalists talking about this. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. It was uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable because they were like, you know, this is not some third world country. You know, these are people that look like us that are being bombed and stuff. And it was like multiple clips where it was sort of like, these are blue eyed, blonde haired people that are being shot on the streets of Kiev and stuff. And I'm like, is that what makes the difference? Like, is it that matter either way? No yeah. matter what they look like. That's not what the coverage was when we're like invade when the US is invading Iraq. No one was like, oh, these poor brown haired, you know, tan skinned people are being, you know, hurt by an unjust war. Nobody said that. Yeah. And it was just, really it kind sounds of... like they're only concerned because they look like they can connect with them because they look the same. That's kind of it doesn't sit right. 
no i was listening to it and i was like this is actually like stomach turning like they were like these people have instagram profiles and i was like are we really is this what we're doing is this what yeah like the fuck is going on gosh yeah i felt uh, tiktok you should you should feel because they have tiktok it's like shouldn't we feel (laughs) even if they didn't have social media (laughs) i'm listening to it and i was just like wow like it is really it's really jarring when people are speaking emotionally and because they're speaking emotionally they're speaking in like an unfiltered way and it's really jarring how quickly it is like white people were being hurt you know it's like it's so quick (laughs) yeah it's so quick it's right there at the at the cusp of that and it was uh i don't know felt very dirty strange yeah i I didn't like it i'm not a fan they were like if this was happening in uganda who cares i'm like what what is this (laughs) what is going on (sighs) not a not a good look not a good look it was very disturbing to me um but yeah i uh i also and i mean look people at home listening to this so it's not a video podcast. I know I shouldn't necessarily do this, but I uh, I saw something a little while ago, and uh, I gotta I gotta bring it up and show this to you if I can fucking find it. Where did I put it? It was here somewhere. I know it was. Maybe it's behind this window. No, it's not. Where is it? Uh, how did that even happen? I wonder if I closed the window. Hang on a second. I, uh, I saw something a little while ago, and it's just so shocking that I really felt like I, uh, I needed to show somebody. Uh, so you're on deck. Uh, this video, and people at home might not be, just listen to Ariel's reaction. I'm sure that this will play. All right. This is a, they're, they're tagging sharks for research purposes, and there is a man on the bow of the ship you know how it has like the little walkway on the front of the ship and he has a spear that he's going to try to tag a shark with and uh just take a look at this video uh i think i see him there keep your eye on that guy Did you see that? Man. Hold on, run that back real quick. They're going to do it in slow-mo here, watch. And they zoom in a little. I would shit Holy my pants. Shit. I would shit Holy my shit. pants. Yeah, that would be so, my last day as a fisherman. Yeah, that fucking <laughs> the shark comes, it breaches out of the water directly under this guy's feet. He's on the specifically to eat him. That's yeah, crazy. Like he's on the bow of the ship on this metal grating. And then he looks down like, like it's a, it's a metal grating. So when you look down, you're just seeing the water and yeah. this shark just comes up mouth Pops wide right open down. and is like full on within like, if that, if that metal grate wasn't there, that guy is dead. Like, Oh my God, I would have shit my pants. <laughs> Yeah, no. Horrifying. All right, Bryce is here. <laughs> you we'll can pay Bryce me to do that. Too. All right. Uh, 
I watched it a little while ago. I'm saying, oh my god, like I would be an unhappy camper. Um, yeah, no, fuck that shit. I really like sharks a lot. Like they're they're one of like the high up animals that are on my list of like, wow, those things are pretty fucking cool. But also, not me. I'm not into. <laughs> not me. I'm not into the idea of getting eaten by one. You know, I will enjoy them from a distance. I yeah, will, I admire from afar. Let's go shark watching. Yeah, no thanks. I'll watch some <laughs> YouTube videos. <laughs> you know what? I always talk about like in creature design. Like sometimes people will will. I'm trying to think of a good example, like Godzilla. Godzilla in the 2014 movie and beyond. He's so fucking big, and he has this huge mouth. Hello, Bryce. Um, and Hello? it's like uh, <laughs> we were talking about how big your mouth is. Ooh, just like that. Got a, big... Got a lot to say. <laughs> oh, I was talking about Godzilla being he's such a gigantic creature. And <clears throat> for me, like in, from a character design perspective, I find him infinitely less scary despite how big he is. And be, it's like if Godzilla goes to eat you, there's a good chance you could get swallowed whole. And it might have its own complications where you're like, now you're in stomach acid and you're burning alive and shit. But there's at least, you don't, you're not worried about being torn apart. Yeah. Whereas a shark, it don't, they only get so big. So if it's going to eat you, it's taking a chunk out at a time. And that yeah. is psychologically terrifying. So I might draw a creature that maybe is big enough to have a gigantic mouth that could swallow you whole, but I will purposely size down the mouth on most of my creatures so that the implication is if that thing decides to eat you you're in trouble you know it's going to be a really painful way to go uh, um i don't know an intact trip down an esophagus would be pretty scary <laughs> Do you imagine <laughs> especially if you're like but i know i definitely i definitely see what you're saying it's yeah. more personal i feel like oh yeah with a shark definitely more personal we j i just showed ariel this thing i want to get your reaction to it too i saw this earlier and I, I had to show somebody, so here we go. I think I see him there. Just keep your eye on the guy at the in front of the bow here. Whoa! Holy crap! Jump <laughs> right out of the water! Man! They play it again in slow mo when they punch in a little on him. <laughs> I'd be like, no, thank you. All set. Bye. <laughs> Would either of you ever do one of those uh, shark cages? Right oh, no, no. Ariel no. says no. I would do. I don't know. I might. Yeah. I've seen some videos, dude. I've seen a video of a shark getting into one of those tanks. Yeah. And it was horrifying. The guy survived without a scratch. I don't know how. Yeah. It was fucking thrashing around in there. It was insane. Yeah. I don't know. I might. I might do it. Yeah, I feel like I might, too. I, feel, I, I mean, I guess they're not that scared if one got in, but I don't know. I, feel like I would scared. go with Bryce because I feel like I could overpower him and get him in front <laughs> of me. Throw him at the shark. Beat <laughs> him. Him first. Know? Yeah. <laughs> and I might I might stand a chance of escaping. So I think that's a good move. Um, Bryce, before we go, uh, Ariel and I have already talked about The Dark Knight Rises, so we're uh, pretty much done. 
you want to give your quick thoughts no i'm just kidding um that's fast <laughs> do you have uh anything that uh minute. you want to share for off topic stuff anything you want to say um no i think we're good You're to good? get into the next section yeah. all right cool so we're going to throw over to commercial and then when we come back we're going to talk about the dark knight rises the film that almost stuck the landing and I spoiled it in the off topic, but for those listeners that skip the off topic, and rightfully so, Ariel, uh, what the fuck are we talking about? We are talking about The Dark Knight Rises, the last movie in the Nolan trilogy. Yes, the last one, and Bryce has already left. Uh, he just it. got up and walked away. It's done. <laughs> What the hell's going on over there? Now I come full, full circle with all these podcasts. He's got his moonshine jug. He's taking a nice sip of moonshine. Um, so, yeah. Uh, now, I tried to... Uh, I was surprised one of the weeks when you guys were talking about the age you were when you saw The Dark Knight, uh, I think, and, and maybe when you saw Batman Begins, too. How old were you when, when The Dark Knight Rises came out? What age... Was this 2011? 2012. 2012. I was 14, depending on when it came out, 13 okay. or 14. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd already, I'd already seen both previous movies yeah. at this point. I was like, start, that was kind of my transition period to really getting into comic book stuff yeah. around that time. Like late middle school, early high school is when I really started to get into them, specifically Batman. All right. Or more so Batman. Bryce. Yeah. I know you weren't here last week, but Ariel needs to talk He's too. Trying to make up. He's trying to make up for it. <laughs> okay. I, got, I, got, I got a lot of content I got to get out there. I believe I was 15 years old, and I remember exactly when I first watched this movie because I illegally downloaded it on my school laptop. That's a great and... thing to broadcast to the FBI that listens They're to the show me. for sure. Uh, I just want to let them know I'm not afraid of them. <laughs> this is a hot spot for agents they love yep. this podcast oh, oh yeah. <laughs> big supporters big supporters i believe i saw it in theaters with my family yeah i think i went to the jordan's imax which that's is a great place that, the, to be the uh scene opening scene with the plane coming overhead in imax oh, yeah God, and at awesome. that time they made a horrible decision so this might not mean a lot to to people but uh outside of massachusetts but the reading massachusetts imax theater was at that time one of only six or seven theaters in the world that had imax um 70 millimeter film projectors and now they've switched it all over to laser so that it's like every other imax theater but for at that time they had actual physical film prints that they were dealing with so what we saw at that theater in particular was actually the full frame full scope of everything that they shot it was a like a replicant of a, a replica a replicant blade runner uh, a replica of the actual footage that was shot by chris nolan and his team so that that theater was the ideal theater to go in it was actually the reason that i didn't go see they had trilogy shows that were playing at AMCs. So they're like, come in, you can watch Batman Begins, then The Dark Knight, and then The Dark Knight Rises all in a row. 
And I was like, that sounds really cool, but 70 millimeter film, one of only six in the world, I'm going there. Like, yeah, that's a no contest, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw that with a big group of people and actually Alves and I, uh, for the, during the last 40 minutes or so, we're holding each other's hands and <laughs> silently weeping. <laughs> so to say that we were, uh, you know, emotionally invested in the Nolan movies is probably an understatement. You know, they were kind of the best things going at the time uh, in terms of comic book movies. Because this was actually the same year that the first Avengers came out. And I really don't feel like the Marvel movies started getting um really good until probably that point like before that was iron man and the first captain america the first thor uh the incredible hulk it's like eh. yeah yeah out of that lot iron man and the first avengers are the only standout yeah. ones yeah. yeah absolutely thor the first one the second yeah. one also not great <laughs> yeah yeah so at the time it was really this movie had a lot riding on it where it was the best the best comic book movies of that era and this was the final comic this was the final batman movie in this trilogy and also just the weight and the shadow of the dark knight looming over this because you know last week's episode you know, I had a couple things that I brought up that were specific. Like, I wish that they had done this different. I wish that they had done that different. But really, my gripes with The Dark Knight are pretty few and far between. Um, this movie, even as it was playing, you know, I cared about the characters and I had a lot of emotional investment. And I was affected by it. It's not an unaffected movie, but I did find myself, even as I was watching it that first time, being like, something's not right. And it would take me a lot longer to kind of sort out what that was. But uh, what was what were your guys' takeaways upon your first viewing? Do you remember coming out of the theater, what you thought of it? I would say I find it hard to give good feedback or have a good review on a movie after my first viewing. I usually kind of, I usually try to go in the theater and just enjoy the movie. And then the second time over, I'll really like have better points to come off of it. But even after that first and second viewing, I don't know. I think it was cause I was a bit younger. Mm -hmm. So I was, yeah, I was so, what did I say? 14. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have the, um, the eye for movies that I do now and I right. just enjoyed it for what it was like right. I didn't really see as the flaws as I did uh this time viewing right so all, all in all is pretty positive yeah yeah um <clears throat> like you said back in the day there weren't that many great pop-out superhero movies but there weren't that many comic book movies so that was like top tier like that was the movie at the time that was like the best one you've seen and they've only gotten better since so right. yeah i i really enjoyed it my first viewing yeah mm -hmm. um you know bryce you talked about seeing it this latest time and starting to like see flaws um 
what what are your, some of the things that stand out to you as far as maybe things that they got not well, wrong, one of the um this is more of nitpicking but one thing i really liked about the first two Nolan movies is how practical it was and mm. i felt that there were a fair amount of gaps in logic in this movie yeah. like specifically how he healed his back in just a few months in a random prison mm-hmm. or the magical knee brace that I don't know if science yeah. would that. And he <laughs> kicked a brick wall. Yeah. <laughs> Even with an yeah, enhanced break knee, that easy, like, your foot's going to break. Now, yeah, I thought that, uh, that would have been hilarious. It just seemed you had to suspense, uh, suspend belief a little yeah. more than you were used to in the previous movies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do think it would have been funny if he had kicked that wall and just shattered his foot. <laughs> yeah. Just hilarious. Like, I thought I was way stronger. My bad. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't, it's, I guess... it's weird Nolan doing that type of stuff because it feels so very unknown to me. Right. That's, I don't get it. He set it up, like, he set it up, pitched it up that it, practicality was his big point in his Batman movies. And he, right. Not fully threw it out the window, but kind of. And That's I mean, weird the too. Bo- I don't. I don't think the the bat wings getting the bomb six miles in ten seconds, or however no, much time was left on the timer. No, yeah, no. That's a. I mean, that... You could see Batman in the cockpit with <laughs> three seconds left. Yeah, yeah and you go. You're, that that's like the stuff that you. It's questionable because some people are like, oh, well, it's like a metaphor. Like he's imagining batman is in the thing like batman's going out to sea and dying and like maybe like bruce actually ejected when he blew up the building and 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 before joseph gordon levitt sees the bat wing come out of the fuck thing like he you have to like do that type of work to make this movie make sense and it feels like it's a cop-out because everything else that nolan does is so strategically uh planned out and plotted that it's weird that all of a sudden he's getting like fantastical with like oh it's a visual metaphor you know up until this point what he shows you is what's there you know and that mindset you can defend anything and create any narrative you want that's right (laughs) yeah yeah it's a it's a huge mistake and i also think that the leg brace thing is uh is funny because they're like, oh, look at how hard he can kick. He broke a wall. And then, so it's like, you're, it's the Hitchcock thing of like, I showed a gun in the first act that's going to go off in the third act. So the entire like last fight, you're waiting for some crazy fucking kick <laughs> that like sends Bane sailing through a brick wall or something. Never happens. Doesn't happen. He gets <laughs> kicked. So funny. But he gets kicked like he just stumbles back and falls through the glass plate window. And you're like, okay, that's nothing. You know, yeah. that could have just been a normal kick. So I don't really understand why they made a big deal about his fucking crazy like million dollar man leg. You know, yeah, why well, bring it up? So strange. I never thought about it that way. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Um, really underutilized that fucking power kick huh yeah i it's it's just just very strange kind of uh choices being made and i don't know if it's nolan maybe feeling the pressure of like oh how do i live up to what it came before and like how do i close out this trilogy but i do feel it is the most awkward out of all three of these and you would think that the further along you go the more competent you would get and it feels like it's less competent and that's strange to me you know yeah 
It, it is tough. Pretty impossible position following the Dark Knight. Well, you know, it's funny because there's a lot of stuff in here that, I mean, you brought up the plane sequence in the beginning is fucking amazing. You know, it's so intense. Uh, it's kind of a, it's a nice, I like this. It felt almost like a, all right. It felt like a Bond movie on a couple of levels. So like one is that type of action set piece doesn't feel like a Batman set piece. It does feel like it could happen in a Bond film. Um, but the other thing is a lot of times Bond movies start out with some big chase or something and then the credits. And that's what Nolan started to do with Batman where the Dark Knight, you get the bank robbery, the Dark Knight Rises, you get this plane sequence. And uh, just a great way to set up a villain uh, there's a bunch of shit going on that you don't quite know why. Um, pretty cool introduction to the idea of like the loyalty of his uh, underlings and this guy that he's like, no, 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 they're expecting one of us in the wreckage. And he just is like, oh, yeah, fuck, I forgot. Sorry. Yeah. And he's like, I'll see you later. I'm just going to die. Yeah. It's a and totally. You know, person like, dude, why me? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, big one for the team it's it's great you know and and it does a lot of like good groundwork um and then they spit us back into gotham city you find out it's been eight years since harvey dent died um and that since that happened that bruce wayne has become basically a total recluse and that batman has vanished and i gotta tell you not my choice that's not what I would have had happen at all no. at the end of the Dark Knight. Um, Ariel, what, what, are you, what are you thinking? Uh, I just feel like um, Batman is usually the type of character, he, you know, he says he's going to quit, but he never actually pulls through with that. You know, he sees some injustice happening and he just can't help himself. He pulls the cowl back on and gets back out there. Seeing him gone for like eight years is kind of kind of a stretch, kind of crazy right it's, it's not like his fucking back was broken he was just kind of chilling yeah yeah and i think an excuse can be made that the dent act was covering him so like he didn't have a need to come out as batman but i don't another gap in logic i i don't yeah, see that like, there's ever no way that's going to cover everything you know? yeah yeah <laughs> i i really feel like i would have been much more interested in seeing a version of things where it's like Batman has been operating. He has been still being Batman. He still has run into other rogues. Like when the prison break sequence happens, uh, you know, and, and they let all these criminals out onto the street, it's like, oh, well, here are some characters that Batman met in the interim between the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises. So all of a sudden, like, oh, look there's the mad hatter oh my god look there's the ventriloquist and scarface like just these kind of characters amongst the prisoners escaping would have been kind of neat to see like a little bit of fan service but nolan doesn't do that um i i just feel almost like i pictured a version of things where batman continued operating as batman continued dealing with like the high level threats that would sometimes occasionally pop up and that essentially no cop has seen him in eight years. It's like, he just, he's faster, 
quicker his technology is you know improved to a point where they just can't even get close to him you know and he's actively trying to hide from them you know like it'd be like going back to the beginning where everybody thinks that he's still a myth like he's not real we haven't seen him there's just thoughts there's legends stuff like that right so no one actually knows if he's back or not right yeah it's kind of frustrating as a character bruce wayne would stop his life mission because of rachel yeah yeah like no i i I mean i don't know like i'm not that knowledgeable in the batman comics but i don't see an iteration of uh bruce wayne aside from this nolan movie that would do that you're totally right yeah that that just seems completely out of character yeah yeah usually when somebody he's close to dies he just fucking puts aside his feelings and starts beating the shit out of people even harder yeah Yeah. Uh, Yeah. a a darker batman would have been uh, pretty interesting oh yeah Yeah, he doubles down yeah and that's true bryce that's a that's a really good point because i think that i think that this movie arguably has a batman that feels more at peace for most of it and i don't think that that's the direction I, i feel like you're right to think a darker batman or a more brutal batman is probably what you would wind up having and then you know maybe partially maybe maybe even having a situation where you don't find him as heroic as he once was you saw in the dark knight him get pushed to a point where he's like dropping mobsters off of the sides of buildings and snapping their legs and shit it's like maybe if he has just continued doing that Maybe you see him and you're like, wow, like he's uh, he's turned much grimmer than he has been. And, and maybe Bane showing up and giving him a beatdown would be more complex of a situation because you kind of feel like he deserves it. You know, like maybe he needs this. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a po- it, it could be an interesting direction to go with that. And you could use Bane as kind of um, seeing Batman and seeing himself and Bane yeah. also excommunicated from the League of Shadows mm-hmm. and becoming more grim and more brutal. He sees himself become Bane. And yeah. so Bane kind of knocks some sense into him literally and figuratively. Yeah. Like. And his there's something interesting there too because about his maybe if if you set up the idea that batman experienced another emotional trauma you know like everything that happened in the dark knight took a toll inflicted pain and if the outcome of that thing is that i don't feel as much as i did before because that's what it would take for you to become more monstrous is for you not to empathize for you to not feel and then you have bane who has this anesthetic that is numbing his pain you know so they're kind of like on that they're not like joker and batman are the opposite of each other bane and batman might be the same as one another um in the context of this movie which i don't know that see what i see see what i say what i'm saying though it doesn't take a lot of talking for you to come up with something better and that's that's where the problem is it it takes a lot of work for me to try to figure out a better story than what we got in the dark night 
The Dark Knight Rises, any storyline you choose from The Dark Knight Rises, you can very quickly come up with something more interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It's really yeah, at some points it seems like they were hastily finishing this trilogy. Yeah, it made the movie just to make it. <laughs> yeah, have a game plan. <laughs> it's crazy because the Dark Knight came out in 2008, so they had like a four-year gap to figure all of this stuff out, and it really does feel like a first draft of a script. You know, was Batman Begins uh, 2005 or 2006? It was 2005. Yeah, so they did uh, Dark Knight in even less time. Yeah. Rises. Yeah. They think they spent more time. I don't know what I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if they just got excited and they jumped the gun and they were like, all right, we're ready to go. We finished. You know, and yeah. it, it's like I always make the joke about M. Night Shyamalan, where it's like he they he took his stack of screenplays. I, I imagine he wrote all of his screenplays, you know before he got famous and then he, he was like oh this one's the best one i'm gonna try to get this made and he went to the studio and he says it's called the sixth sense and they said oh really let's look at it and they read it and they said holy shit we're gonna make this and then they make it everybody likes it and then they're like well what do you want to do next and he's like i got a uh, unbreakable and they're like what's that he's like it's like a superhero origin movie and they're like all right cool and they read it they're like all right cool let's go and then you know, everybody, you know, critics really love that. The studio is just like, this guy can't do anything wrong. And they're all studio executives that don't know any better. So now they're just like, M. Night Shyamalan is a master storyteller. And they go, what's the next movie? He goes, Signs. And they go, cool. They make it. Everybody likes it. And then they're like, what's next? Like, what, what are you going to do next? And he's like, it's called The Village. And they're like, all right. Yeah. Like, let's go. And they put it out. And everyone's like, huh. Okay. And then they're like, all right. Well, people are a little bit rocky, but what do you have next? And he's like, well, he's like, I have this one. There's a lady in the water. And they go, okay, we'll, we'll make that. And it's like, to me, what it feels like, if you look at his filmography, it's like he used his best material first. And then the stuff that needed to be re rewritten came after. Yeah. But he never rewrote it. He just was like, oh, but I have the script finished. I don't yeah. want to rewrite best it. Cards first. Yeah. And it's just like. <laughs> The Dark Knight Rises kind of has that vibe of something where it's like they had a first draft and they just needed to push it a little bit further. I have many complaints about a lot of different aspects of it. Um, yeah. Like the Batman stuff, him just disappearing for that amount of time is crazy to me. Um, the other thing that I go back to often is... Uh, they set up Bane with this line in the beginning. The, the overarching plot, okay? So it's like Bane shows up in Gotham. Uh, him and Batman have this big fight. He puts Batman in a prison underground and, you know, begins to hostily take over uh, Gotham City. And Bruce has to rebuild himself, climb out of the thing, go back and stop him. And they have these this motif that's like repeated over and over. And it's uh, a hero can be anybody, you know, and Batman could be anybody and all of this stuff. And I just I really disagree with that. I think anybody could put on a Batman costume, but I think Batman's Bruce Wayne and 
that's the end of that as far as I'm concerned. And to me, I think the more, I think that that's what the movie could be more focused on is the idea of like how exceptional Bruce Wayne is as a person. And it brings me back to Bane's thing about no one cared who I was until I put on the mask because that's where Bane thinks his power comes from. Like Bane thinks that the mask gave him the presence or the kind of iconography or something to rise up over people. I think if that's Bane's thinking, that's probably what he believes gives Batman power too. So they make a big point about Bane breaking Batman's mask in that fight. And then they don't do anything with it. If I was making that movie, because they go, Bane beats Batman, Bane dislocates a vertebrae because they're like, we're not going to have him break his back. We, we only have two months or whatever the fuck. Coming back from that one. Yeah. So <laughs> they like, they, they have him get in this big fight. He breaks his mask. And then in the, in the movie brings him to the pit, drops him off, says, you know, this prison is the worst hell on earth. And then he goes back to Gotham and then he blows up the city and he goes out on the field and he's like, what is this? And he's, Pavel's like, it's a four-ton nuclear bomb. And then he's like, who could disarm it? And Pavel's like, only me. And then he snaps Pavel's neck and all this shit. I'm like, man, you rejigger those scenes and you have Bruce's like, you know, broken body in the bat suit, you know, unmasked. And you have Bane come out and be like, here's the deal. I got a bomb. Here's the guy that can disarm it. He's fucking dead. Oh, and if you think Batman will save you, Batman's Bruce Wayne. And look at him. He's all fucked yeah. up. I'm in control. And then you can bring him to the prison and drop him off, you know, and that's fine. Yeah, uh, it's like he didn't like wave his victory over anybody. It's yeah. To all the citizens, Batman just disappeared again, which is like. He's already been gone for eight years, so exactly. Like it doesn't seem it wouldn't seem that jarring to anybody. And also Bane's whole thing is that the mask gave him power. So I've demasked Batman. And so by doing that, I have destroyed Batman. If Bruce comes back from that, goes back to his city, and then instead of lighting a fucking bridge on fire with a bat signal, you know, which is fine. But what if he did some type of appeal to the public, to everybody that's in Occupied Gotham, in the Batman costume with his mask off and was like, I'm back. You know, he's not going to win. You know, you're just like me. You know, that's the whole point. I am just a person. You are just people. I can't stop him alone. I need your help. You know, and then... It doesn't just become cops versus Bane's mercenaries. It's like, it's, you know, Bane's mercenaries and various Gotham criminals versus the cops and ordinary Gotham citizens that are now being inspired by Batman to make their city a better place. Oh my God, that's the entire thing that Bruce said he was trying to do when Batman begins. All the pieces fit together. This is amazing. And they just 
don't do it like it's just not part of the movie it's just <laughs> such a weird thing for me to watch it and feel like like it's like simultaneously it, it's what you have but also you're thinking like i'm always thinking of the one that got away it's right there it's so close and it's just in these degrees that they kind of fumble the ball for me or something I feel like they went too heavy into that in the dark night, or I don't want to say too heavy into that, but if they were to do it in this movie, have the people of Gotham show that they aren't full of criminals and they don't deserve the um, genocide that the League of Shadows keeps on trying to pour out on them, then they might have wanted to hold back the scene on the ships in the dark night. Because I feel like that kind of hits that home. Like yeah. having Batman reach out to the people and have them rise up over Bane is like too similar to the scene of the people on the ship showing that they're not as ugly as the Joker, that they're just mm. people and not all criminals, even the ones labeled as such. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean I But I do like I do like how that come how that idea would come full circle. Well, I think and I be... would like the idea of the cops and the people taking back over the city. It does feel like it's just cops, right? Yeah. Like when you look at that crowd, it's just the cops that have been stuck underground for three months. You're like, okay. Like, I mean, I, I kind of, I don't know. I have this vision of, uh, 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 I mean, almost like Batman returning the, the favor even, where it's like, okay, like he pulls the tubes out of Bane's mask at the end and that slows him down and then Talia shows up and immediately fixes them. And I'm like, I have a vision of that fight happening where he's busted the tubes and Bane's kind of swinging wild and he's not focused anymore and he's getting overwhelmed and I can see Batman and him fighting and like the sounds of Bane like grunting and screaming and everything and Batman kind of like at a certain point just kind of stoically dodging punches and not even really fighting back letting Bane kind of punch himself out and I have this idea of even Batman like totally grabbing hold of that mask at a certain point and just like breaking it off of his head and having Bane like collapse down onto the ground and like you're seeing his face all like shriveled up from like being stuck in like his own moist breath inside that thing and like creepy kind of like you know like sort of like tan wise all like pale and shriveled up underneath the mask yeah, and yeah. people like watching Bane go from this like superimposing figure to this like crumpled mass on the steps of the of city hall and you know for bane that's like the ultimate insult to his whole thing is you took away my power you know like that through line there um and then the other thing that always bothers me is and we talked about this actually the first time you guys were on but we talked about it off air but it's set up in the in Batman Begins. You know, I never said thank you. Gordon says to Batman. Batman says you'll never have to. Then the Dark Knight. It's 
Gordon talking. Uh, he says it's it's after Batman saves his son. Gordon says thank you. Batman reiterates, "You don't have to thank me." Gordon says, "Yes, I do, because you saved my son." Then this movie comes along, and all of a sudden, that that motif is applied to John Blake and Batman, where Blake says, "Thank you," and Batman says, "Don't thank me yet." It's supposed to be like the payoff to that whole moment, and I just feel like it's so wasted. It doesn't make any sense. Completely. Yes. My <laughs> my take is it's got to be Gordon. Yeah, it's it's kind of cheap. They just kind of like dished it out to any it's it's almost like like an insider. Yeah. Like like Gordon would have gotten that reference completely like in his mind he would have like gone back and be like, "Wow, that's that's great." But yeah. uh yeah, I just feel like um was named Robin can't really appreciate that as much as Jim Gordon would have. No. <laughs> and I I I even know exactly the the place that I want to see it and it's just you have the moment where Bruce is about to take off with the nuke out into the harbor and Gordon is saying crazy shit that Gordon, it doesn't really sound like Gordon would ever say. It's like, shouldn't people, don't people deserve to know the hero that saved them? And it just sounds like this religious zealot. And I'm like, it's Jim Gordon. Like, come on. Like, this is like a weird dialogue. And then, uh, Bruce says, uh, a hero can be anyone, even somebody doing something as simple as wrapping a warm coat around a young boy's shoulders to let him know that the world hasn't ended. Then he closes the cockpit and he fucks off. And as he flies away, Gordon says, Bruce Wayne. And that's it. And it's like, that's fine. I really like the moment. I really like what Bruce says. But I'm like, stretch it out a little bit. I know time is of the essence. There's a nuclear bomb. But for the sake of the fucking story <laughs> okay you have bruce say that stuff and then gordon realizes who it is and then gordon goes bruce wayne right to him and then bruce says i never thanked you and then gordon says you never had to son and there it comes and the cockpit closes and then batman goes and saves god it's like that's all that's all it's like it's it's oh god this movie's infuriating it's so <laughs> fucking brutal to watch just balls everything's like it's it's right there and then it's just like all right next scene see you later yeah. <laughs> it's like there's no thought or it's consideration like, to any of this. it's like at every point they're happy with good enough yes yeah, oh my yeah. god <laughs> it's, it's a movie of like horrific kind of like I wouldn't even say compromises. It, it feels like they didn't even know like what they were doing. It, it was really weird. It, it was like when Brett Ratner directed X-Men 3, only they, they oh, didn't, really? there isn't a different director coming in. <laughs> it's just like the same director, just a vastly worse for some Fuck reason. <laughs> he's, probably, he's probably just sick of making Batman movies. He's like, yeah. why did I sign up for a trilogy? He was like, I got to get out of this so that I could do Interstellar and Dunkirk. You know? I got to bomb just, this one so they don't try to get He's making sure he never has to do his comic book hero, a comic book movie again. That's right. Yeah. Um, although I, we're really picking apart this movie. I do like this movie. Like See, I do enjoy it. There's a lot of things I, I think could be done better, but overall, I absolutely think it's a good movie, and I enjoy watching it every time. I I I I I don't I don't. <laughs> it's 
it's really weird because here all right so i the, the problem is is the movie that i have in my head is better and it's just i can't i, I every time i watch it i get to it. certain points yeah i can just, i can see that you know but i will say um, that performance wise i think everybody is like top of their game giving probably the best performance like the the legacy characters are giving the best performances out of any of the movies michael Caine's alfred's firing on all cylinders gary oldman's this is doing his best movie without a doubt oh yeah gary oldman's doing great um you know morgan freeman keeps up the pace you know great lucius fox always has been always will be christian bale i think is giving a very nuanced layered kind of painful performance as batman and bruce like somebody that's just kind of looking back on life from the perspective of like my greatest deeds have you know passed me by um and that's really great and then the new characters coming in uh the only thing i mean tom hardy's bane is iconic you know very very well done um and probably one of the characters that you wouldn't think of as being a nolan verse character um one of the ones that you wouldn't feel like he would want to touch uh but he does a great job with it i think anne hathaway's catwoman is great amazing yeah, yeah. she's has such a great presence and every little expression of the face i was noti- noticing her <laughs> when john blake says uh we can protect you you know like the cops can protect you and she does this kind of like this eye roll yeah, at like him you can even protect yourselves so, like, yeah i fucking who are you protecting? she's just great and they i love how they build a very believable relationship between selena and bruce wayne considering yeah. how different walks of life they come from different walks of life like that shouldn't be the case but they do it really well and it's yeah. a very believable relationship yeah the uh the only character that <laughs> i mean i i don't know i don't know what the deal is i don't know if she's sleeping with no one or what the deal like it, it it seems like he really likes this person and chooses to put her in a lot of things and then it seems almost like the same thing that I was saying about the script where it's like the first take is like, fine, cool. Let's move on. Is uh, Marion Cotillard. Yeah. Uh, I just, yeah. And Miranda Tate earlier on in the film. Like I just, uh, God, I don't find her believable. And especially uh, when she's dying, when she's dying, Uh, I'm like, this person is acting and not well. (laughs) No, acting like an idiot. That was that, that's probably the worst scene in all three movies. Oh, it's horrifyingly bad. The way and... that she just like not. I don't even remember what she said, but immediately after her sentence, she just like, she just croaks <laughs> like her fucking tongue out. Yeah. No, I mean yeah. it's like it's funny because Nolan talked about wanting to bookend the series, and it feels a little bit like he was like, "Well, we had a horrible Rachel Dawes in the first movie that was a love interest to Batman. Now we have to have a horrible." love interest for batman in the last movie so that it ties you know it's like a it's a perfect circle um yeah i don't know i like i don't think i've ever seen marion cotillard in anything that i really thought she was great in um 
maybe uh maybe actually the the other uh uh public enemies that was christian bale and johnny depp she was in that and she was very good but even something like uh inception i mean she's essentially playing a ghost playing like a memory of leonardo dicaprio's wife in that movie and like she's fine but she's sort of a, a terminator-esque character there's not a lot of depth to her um this movie i felt like they didn't do a particularly good job of you know burying the lead with her where i think anybody that's a batman fan i mean i appreciate that batman movies have to be made for everybody and if you're not a batman fan i think that you're probably way more surprised about miranda being raza's daughter but i mean she was suspicious as hell from the get-go and then every line of dialogue was a reworking of a liam neeson line from batman begins and you're like come on like we, you know where it's going the entire time i wasn't surprised at all about it um what did you guys did you guys catch on to it early or did you were you along for the ride yeah definitely... first time viewing i absolutely was yeah i was along for the ride i didn't know well I, like right, cool. i said that was the beginning right. of my like, uh real love for comic books happening so i really didn't know that much about um batman his universe i didn't even know talia ghoul was a character at this okay. point watching this movie like i was really new to it all um and like i said i was a i was a pretty young kid so it so it's a good a good twist <laughs> a good twist for uh, you for, though for, as for, somebody that, that point, doesn't know yeah, for when i was viewing it yeah it, it got me yeah but yeah. see it now i'm like I, I didn't really realize it on my first watch because same thing like i was, I was kind of young i didn't really know comic books that well yet but mm -hmm. after like the second watch it was like you like you said you could see like everything connecting pretty easily it wasn't that hard to put together yeah it was like every line and it just like uh I mean, I I understand that the best twists in comics, if you adapt them, a comic book fan's going to know that that's what you're doing. But I, I, I think that there would have been virtue to let's try to surprise the audience, but also how do we surprise the fans? So for me, I'm like, you want to surprise me as a fan? Well, <clears throat> do something crazy unexpected if you have this femme fatale character that's running around in a cat suit and everything and you're like not calling her Catwoman, you know but it's like oh the implication is like oh that's Catwoman, and then like you find out at the end that it's like no that's that's talia that's why they weren't calling her cat or something yeah that's probably a terrible idea but you get my point it's like that you could probably insane. do something yeah. where i would be surprised as surprised as a regular audience member you know yeah you can make the movie appeal to mainstream audience without sacrificing um a true fan's viewing of the movie. Yeah. um so anyways with all of my kind of bitching out of the way uh what, what are some of the successes you guys feel with the dark knight rises like what what really works for you uh what stands out the most is bane i mean 
up until the end. His um, death is pretty unsatisfying. But aside from that, every Bane scene was awesome. Right from the start. Oh, him opening up the movie was so good. I don't think they could have opened up that movie better. Yeah. Love that scene. He was just, and they showed, they displayed his physical strength, physical, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, dominance and mm-hmm. mental very well. Yeah. Which is like one of the biggest um, factors of his character that he can outsmart Batman and break him down. Oh. And they really showed that well in this movie. And Tom Hardy killed his performance. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one thing that I liked, uh, this is kind of a callback. I had to complain about Batman Begins. The uh, the fight scenes were almost like, they were very like chopped up. You couldn't really, there was no following it. You couldn't see, you, all you know <laughs> is that they're throwing punches somewhere. You hear the hits, you don't see anything. This movie is definitely way easier to track. The, mm-hmm. uh, the fight scenes, everything's more clear. You can see how everything's going. But um, mm-hmm. everything was great, except for in that last like mob fight. That was kind of a... Uh, I don't know, if you play kind of like close attention to like anyone in the background, they're just like they are not fighting. Actually. Yeah, it's kind of like wailing around. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah. this movie, in my opinion, had the best and the worst fight choreography out of the, the whole three movies. <laughs> it's it's interesting the uh, like the background extras and stuff, and and some of them you can blatantly see not hitting each other, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. oh, this is weird. Throwing punches that miss by, like, two feet. And yeah. the other person's like, ah! <laughs> They're like soccer players. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> I got flicked on the air. I need to go to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel, going back to the Dark Knight, that, um, that uh, choreography is less chopped up, and you can see what's going on. But I still don't think it's good. Like you, could, a lot of the characters are just waiting for Batman to beat them up. Oh yeah, and the, the scene, um, the scene where he breaks into the mob boss's bankers or financial advisors' uh, office. I forget yeah. his name when he's over in Hong Kong. Wow. <laughs> like there's six of them, and three of them are fighting him, and the other three are just aiming their guns at him. And yeah. he'll grab one arm and they'll still have the gun aimed and they'll just wait for him to do a move and flip yeah. him over. So even though they fixed the choppiness, it still isn't great in The Dark Knight. And I still don't think it's amazing in The Dark Knight Rises, but it's mm-hmm. definitely the best of the three. Aside from I mean, it's definitely that big, no that big final battle. It's be- wait, what was that, Ariel? I said it's definitely no warehouse scene. I mean, that Ben Affleck yeah. scene was fucking... Dude, oh, I don't think anything will ever beat that. The warehouse scene, they they fix that problem. You know, oh, the yeah. problem of like, why are there people just standing around waiting? It's like the, the warehouse scene is like, no, everybody that is capable of getting to Batman at a given moment is going, you know, yeah. and watching Batman contend with like four or five people at a time is a sight to behold and the really true honoring of you know batman's supposed to be an expert in all of these different martial arts and i watched a video on youtube of a guy that's like a mixed martial arts kind of expert and he walks through how many different fighting styles are put on display in just that one ben affleck fight scene and he's like there's at least 17 distinct martial arts that he's pulling from uh all of these different kind of uh 
all of these different hits, these different kicks, these different blocks, they all come from different martial arts. And that is something that just has not been done yet. Um, by the time BVS comes out, I mean, Batman's fighting style in the Nolan trilogy is one. It's, uh, I think they call it like KFM. Yeah, like the K Casey, Casey fighting method or something. It's all elbows and knees. Yeah. Um, and it's like, and it has a very specific focus on like breaking bones. That's what Batman's fighting style is supposed to be about in the Nolan verse, because, you know, you break somebody's arm. Well, I mean, if you break somebody's arm, they're probably going to stop fighting. So it's like, yeah, the quickest I mean, way. it's a little bit fucking harsh, but it's harsh. <laughs> it's harsh, but it's, it's essentially, how do you stop a fight fastest? And it's like, yeah, I just fucking, break fucking bones. Done. Yeah, that's it. You know? <laughs> um, so it's it was really that that bvs fight scene i will watch the bvs fight scene randomly i'll just pull it up on youtube oh, yeah. and just watch that yeah. one fight just to be like oh, pop into my head and i'm just like gotta watch the full scene now oh, i mean God. seeing him at that one moment where the two guys had the knives that are coming at him there was four of them surrounding yeah. him and he just all taken all four of them that was insane he does he that one two knives at the same time <laughs> that one man. guy stabbed him picked him back up stabbed him back that was yeah horrifying yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that they they made him a real tank in those movies you know yeah. he's fucking great which is actually one of the reasons why it's frustrating like in things like justice league when you see him fighting and it's like i understand that they're aliens and stuff but i just kind of feel like he should be you know he could do more damage than he's doing or something like they sell he him just short later up a on gun and started blasting him which was yeah yeah weird, i don't know but, okay <laughs> but i mean the dark knight rises I think, I think up until the BVS scene, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe that Bane. Uh oh. Did we it. lose Bryce? Is Bryce no. gone? Okay. That's it. Well, uh, up until the uh, the BVS fight, I think that uh, I think that Bane Batman fight might have been the. Uh, might have been the best that we had gotten um up until that point you know uh yeah i th i think uh personally marvel had a very big hand in uh updating the fighting style in a lot of movies like before like i i guess right up until avengers everything was kind of basic and then i guess that was just like some sort of timestamp after that everything just got way more advanced mm -hmm. fighting wise and like same thing with dc after that they also had to up their game with that not yeah. just like throwing constant elbows and like <laughs> yeah it's just fighting is is just way more advanced now even in like the man of steel it was almost he was just kind of like kind of like a frat boy brawler like he's just throwing punches like he's got all this power mm -hmm. but no he doesn't know exactly how to use it. He's yeah. just doing the best of what he's got. I and mean, I think that that's an important Superman thing, though. Like, I don't, he's not, he's not finessed, <laughs> you know? He's, uh, I always think of the, the Joker's line from the animated World's Finest, where Superman comes smashing through a wall and he's like, oh my God, it's Superman, more powerful than a steaming locomotive and just about as subtle. You know, <laughs> it's like that's Superman, you know, um, 
and I like that. I mean, we're it's funny we're like started talking about Snyder stuff, but like I like that that sort of is why it adds an extra dimension to why Batman can beat him. It's like, yeah, like he could, you know, on paper, they're similar weight classes, similar heights. Um, if he was to take away his power with kryptonite, then you're like, okay, similar sizes, you know, it's a question about who could fight, but because you know that Superman, when he throws a punch is going to be like, and he winds back from like his hip yeah, to throw yeah, a punch. Exactly. It's like, you know, that Batman can hit him like nine times before that punch ever even gets close enough for him to have to block it or dodge. Yeah. So, for like, Batman, you never know where it's coming from. Cause he's just that, that fairly polished. Yeah. So I no, like the. I totally see what you're saying with that. Yeah, it's kind of fun watching Superman have to contend with, you know, what what happens if he doesn't have his powers, you know? And I can actually imagine Bruce, you know, training the league with that in mind. Like, hey, you don't know who you're fighting. You don't know what could happen. So fight like you don't have powers, you know? Fight like they're not going to bail you out. Learn this so that if you need it, you have it. And things like the Flash fighting a speedster, all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is exactly what Bruce was talking about. Like yeah. somebody that gets... Now you're leveled, yeah. Yeah, like now you're yeah, a better yeah, fighter than him. Yeah. Um, so I think that that could be really cool to explore in Zack Snyder's Justice League too. Oh, wait. Not I forgot. <laughs> Fuck. Jesus. No. Um, but I mean, I think like the the Batman Bane fight in The Dark Knight Rises, Nolan's very good about. He doesn't chop it to shit, and he yeah. does stand back from them enough that you do understand the geography and topography of that arena that they're fighting in. Um, yeah. And I also think that, you know, like as a Batman fan, that is a a huge moment in the history of that character and actually i think the first comic i read of batman was batman getting his back broken by bane i think that was my first batman comic that i really remember um and it's had an effect on the way i view the character because i i think of him as somebody that can lose i think maybe that's why the drama and like i don't know i i guess i kind of always in the back of my mind expect batman to lose or something because of that first image of i mean that comic is straight up the first the first image i really remember seeing of batman is him just getting snapped across bane's knee um so for me getting to that point in this movie the way it's set up, the way that like the gate comes crashing down, Bruce turns around and says to Catwoman, like, you've made a serious mistake. And just the delivery that Tom Hardy gives of not as serious as yours. And it's just this like really like, oh, it's like a haunting delivery. And when he turns around, he calls him Bane and his response is, you know, let's not stand on ceremony here, Mr. Wayne. And it's just like laying the table, the cards on the table and being like, I know who you are. And 
when they initiate actual physical conflict and you just watch Bane just to eat punches and like yeah. not feel anything about it. And that fucking line, peace has cost you your strength. Victory has defeated you. Like you've just spent so much time basking in, you know, the glory of having, you know, stamped out crime in Gotham and like, look what it's turned you into. You're soft, you know, and uh, man, it's just a great, it's a great lead into that fight. And then watching the fight unfold and seeing Batman on his heels and huffing and puffing and seeing Bane just unfazed, just chugging forward is, uh, man, sets a tone. It's just really that was, quite that scary. Was, that's, that's something that like the audience needed to see. Like you see Batman and it's like, you know, he's, he's always going to win. You know, he's got the prep time. He's got the gadgets. He's got the fighting style. It's he's always top dog and just, seeing Bane take those punches left, right, no reaction was just kind of like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. Like, this guy is a whole nother level. It also makes it that much more satisfying when he climbs back from the bottom of the pit and he comes yeah. back and then Bane's no match from him. Yeah. There's a great moment in the, in the rematch where Bane catches... Tom Hardy is great with his eyes. He's so good. But he catches Batman's fist and when he does it, you can see genuine glee in Bane's eyes. Like, Oh, almost like it reminds me of the line from the dark Knight, where the Joker has the knife out again at like in the fight in the Pruitt building. And the Joker says, Oh, all the old familiar places, because this is where he was at the end of the tractor trailer truck chase, basically above Batman with the knife out. And it kind of has that same vibe, like Bane catches his hands and it's like, oh, all the old familiar places, like I'm about to beat the shit out of you. And yeah. <laughs> it's this great exchange. It's all with the eyes, but you can see Bruce kind of recognize that taunt in Bane's eyes. And then you can see Bruce like redirect focus on the matter at hand, which is just getting my hand free of his grip. And then he does that big uppercut and like roars with the uppercut and it's just like okay here we go rally rally let's go it's uh, it's fucking fantastic it's really well considered it's like storytelling through the fight you know you don't need words you don't need anybody explaining anything it's just very simply this shape versus that shape you know how do you visually tell that story and i think they do a really good job of it in this one that, I like that interpretation of what's going through Bane's head yeah, yeah. when just seeing his eyes and that. Because I always kind of saw it as he realizes Batman climbed out of the pit and he just felt uh, his first blow. And while he caught it, he felt it. And he's realizing, I actually have a real fight. And I think he's excited about that. Ooh, that's that's kind of how I felt it. But I, yeah. I, like, uh, I, I like yours as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like, there is a lot to interpret with it and i think that that's like one of the fun things about you know about the way that the conflict plays out in this story because up until this point i mean Roz could fight but it didn't feel like a felt like a fairly even fight whereas yeah. i think about bane versus batman and like 
you got to be scared for Bruce. Like you really do in any in, in any altercation between those two characters. You have to be like, uh oh, you know, like this could go horribly. Um, and I, uh, I don't know. It's a it's a pairing that I don't think it comes up that often in terms of people's like favorite villain or uh, anything like that. But he definitely Bane earns a place amongst that pantheon um of great batman villains he's very complex um <clears throat> i remember hearing people bitching about him crying uh at the end of the dark knight rises when he has like a tear fall down his face while talia is recounting the story of how he saved her and stuff and uh you know people are just so like i don't know they have some type of problem about guys showing any type of emotion they feel like it's a weakness or something but the thing with bane is even stretching back to the comics this dude is a pure almost like shakespearean type romantic hero figure if you see the world through his eyes you know if you see the world through that perspective i mean in the comics he's born in a prison um to serve out a life sentence that was given to his father who had fled the country. And while he's in that prison, it becomes his sole focus of trying to improve himself, make himself better, stronger, smarter. He basically gets taught how to read by another prisoner, begins working on his body, um, and eventually like escapes. And basically everywhere he goes, he's set to conquer because he's lived as a trapped powerless individual and it's like now it's become something that's a circuit burnt into his brain where i can't ever not be the strongest most powerful you know figure so to me there's something about him that's you know it's shakespearean and it's sad and it's beautiful and I think what makes him interesting is the fact that he has a heart. What makes him interesting is the fact that he has a soul that he can be hurt, you know? Um, so to me, seeing Tom Hardy get emotional while he's in an immense amount of actual physical pain and while Talia's recounting this story about their past and uh, all the things that kind of happened between them uh i don't mind it at all i think it just adds extra dimension to him right yeah he he he's uh he's got way more going on as a character than you know i mean it's hard to use a batman like batman characters as an example for that because a lot of them have more going on but just in terms of like a standard comic book villain, it just feels like Bane is a uh, truly kind of mythic character. And, you know, he does balance out a lot of different things, you know, the power, the strength, the rage, the gentleness, the, you know, the heart. It, it, it's all 
a very potent mix for me anyways that's how i always read bane is kind of yeah a lot of other comic book characters like you said outside of batman's because these are uh comic villains outside of batman because these are pretty top tier yeah a lot of them just reach for a cool look and a cool power yeah not all of them go as deep as bane's background and who he is yeah. So it's, I, I think that's why I agree with you on he's up there on my list of villains. Yeah. I mean, I think his, I just think it's amazing how many people didn't want to give him the kind of benefit or, um, you know, that he, I, I just think it's amazing. Like there were a lot of people that complained very steadily about him crying at the end of this movie and i just don't feel like that that to me still feels like bane he's an emotional character yeah, he's not dead inside at all no not at all and even I feel the, like most of those complaints come from viewers who don't know him too well possibly who yeah. only know him from that movie yeah which is understandable but yeah, yeah. i mean I, I yeah the the only other massively distributed version of bane is jeep swenson and batman and robin so i mean <laughs> if people are like well jeep swenson's bane didn't cry then i'm like <laughs> okay well then we're not you know i mean jesus uh jeep swenson's my bane i'm hardy hashtag not my bane um yeah i mean i think he's great um it's amazing, like the stuff that really works well in this movie is uh, it helps immensely with the plot and sort of the missteps that I see because I love Bane and I think Anne Hathaway's Catwoman's great. And I really like the concept of this movie, like kind of they mix no man's land um and nightfall all together and it's pretty powerful like those are two cataclysmic batman stories and they put them together in such a way that just really gives you a at least a satisfying structure to explore you know um now we're probably getting close to wrapping up right i mean I, I don't have too much else that i want to talk about how about you guys um i'm not i know i had to step out for a minute i apologize for that and no um, i'm not sure if you guys mentioned this while i was gone and i briefly mentioned this before but one thing um more of a uh great about the movie um bane's death yeah is like i mentioned every scene before that was so perfect yeah and they just shot him i mean it, it, uh, i i think they prioritized talia ghoul's twist because everybody loves twists yeah. and they kind of they sacrificed a, a decent death for bane and a decent demise for his character for that and i think that's a shame and i know that um i mentioned this in the first podcast certain villains are used primarily for plot they're used to drive the plot ahead and to um develop the character the main character the main protagonist more 
but Bane wasn't one of those villains. And like that's fine when you use uh, villains in that way, but Bane wasn't one of those villains. They really went to his character, and he was a villain because he's a great villain, and they developed his character so well through the movie, and then they just threw it all away. Yeah, and they did it and almost as you a... brought up. You brought the demasking. I've never thought that route. That would yeah. have been perfect. Yeah, demasking him like that. Yeah, because it would have been, I think, an added level of kind of shame and indignity that he would be facing. Would have completely neutralized him. They could have just taken him in alive, and then ultimately he would wind up a prisoner in Gotham. You know, it's like he would come full circle in that. You know, uh, I don't know. Yeah, that would have been kind of sad to see, actually. Um, it's kind of like the uh, the whole luchador thing where, like, they keep the mask on to, to take their mask off. And if anybody sees them without it, it's, like, shameful to them. That's kind of, like, what it should have been with Bane. Like you said, if he had broke it, the mask <laughs> at the end, it's kind of like he could come back, but he's so shamed by it, by his defeat, that, like, he wouldn't come back like nobody cared who i was before i put on the mask and it's like yeah now that you don't have it nobody cares who you are again you know and that's actually kind of fun because it ties back to sort of who the character is in the comics like they kind of change him quite a bit here to essentially like i always think of him as like and i don't think he's german but like i always he feels like a like a german kind of war machine like a world war ii era uh definitely the clothes too gorilla type yeah so you know in the comics he's literally from essentially like the bahamas you know and his father was european but his mother was from santa prisca so he's like half white half spanish character um but his cultural upbringing is all in like a spanish-speaking country so they kind of change him to this white dude in this and Tom Hardy's like, well, I kind of he like retroactively, I think, tried to say that he was like, oh, yeah, the voice is sort of supposed to be like an homage to the Bahamian sort of background and stuff for the character. I'm like, no, it's not. No, sir. Like, you're right. Like, that's not what you were. You think darkness is your ally. (laughs) Man, you know, Uh, (laughs) I it's a it's a really, you know, so doing like a luchador type mentality would have been kind of a nice nod back to that. Yeah, it would have brought him back to his comic roots. Yeah, I. Are you um, glad they left out uh, Venom. Um, I mean, they have. It, it depends on how you look at what they give us because they have like an anesthetic that's giving him a Venom esque. Like it, the anesthetic is a drug that he's consuming to help deal with something. So it's sort of like a Nolanized version of Venom. Yeah. But I'm I'm glad that he doesn't have a chemical that's like making <laughs> tubes him of liquid making his muscles bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm glad that he isn't like fucking Hulk size because yeah. like, I feel like for the Nolan movies, this was a very good version of Bane. They have a. Uh, I'll tell you what my my take is on the perfect combination of things. So I think. The anesthetic is a great idea, you know, because if you can't feel pain, you can fight longer, harder, you know, all that stuff. That's pretty scary. Also, I'd like to see something that's like, you ever hear about like people that do PCP and they have hallucinations and they don't have any kind of 
mental awareness of the amount of physical force they're exerting. So they are capable of feats that are absolutely horrifying. Like I heard of one guy that straight up like pushed his hand through someone's chest and like pulled their heart out and shit while he was on PCP. Cause it's just like, Oh, I don't know that I can't do that right now. So I can do it. Um, I think like a venom, that's a mixture of like the anesthetic and something that's like a non hallucinogenic PCP that just like totally shuts off, you know, your mind's ability to kind of like self-regulate certain degrees of reality or something so that you can just be like yep this is what i'm planning on doing and and then you actually have the slight delusional capability to pull it off or something like, like the that limitless pill. yeah something like that i mean the limitless pill plus bath salts like something on that level <laughs> i think would be kind of cool <laughs> you know um but yeah i mean i you know, I don't miss it. And I actually think Bane is a more interesting character without the, I mean, I, I'm not opposed to him using steroids or whatever, but I, I just think Bane is a kind of more interesting figure as somebody that earned all of this, you know? Um, so that's kind of my takeaway. Um, trying to think if there's any other, what do you guys think about John Blake? And his, you know, oh, I like that name, Robin, at the end of it. You know, is it that's Nolan's idea of fan service? I, yeah, <laughs> I think, I think there's like, ah, let's get something on there. They're like, oh, uh, another, another that. example of good enough is good enough. <laughs> yeah. Like, and like, there, I, I like, I love how there's like no intention of like ever doing anything with that ever again because no. like that was the last movie. It's about like it, it just but, felt so oh, it, it was strange. Yeah. Overall though, I did I did like the character that Joseph Gordon Levitt portrayed. I thought yeah, he, yeah. Um, they, they I thought he provided a, a good role in the movie and I enjoyed his scenes. And at the end of the day, like what you were mentioning earlier, the the writing and the directing wasn't all there. The acting was without a doubt. So yeah. it's 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 tough not to like uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt's character. I find. I I wish that they would. Here's the thing. So f- they're not worried about a comic book fan being like, "Oh, that is Talia." They barely hide the fact that she is a bad guy. They do a horrible job of like misdirecting. They don't even try to misdirect. So it seems like such a cop out. Like it's <laughs> like. <laughs> If you don't care that the comic book fans know what's going on the entire time, then it's like, just call him Dick Grayson or something. Like, just make Dick Grayson like, oh, yeah, I used to be in the circus or something. And then I was orphaned and I wanted I decided I want to be a cop because my parents died. So I became a cop and just make it that. So, yeah, we know that he's Robin the entire time and it doesn't really change anything. Uh, and I mean, Dick Grayson in the comics, like later on, he becomes Nightwing and then he actually works as a cop for a little while in Bloodhaven. So it's not yeah. like totally without precedent that he would be a police officer. And um, you can even like, even if you do want to fool him a little bit, call him Richard or Rick or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. exactly. Right. And There's... then at the end of the scene, like full name, Richard Grayson. Yeah. yeah. Like, that yeah. that would have been good. Yeah. I mean, that been kind of like you said, that would have 
for the people who aren't big fans, they wouldn't have picked up on that. But and like calling him Rick might have thrown off some of the bigger fans too, even. Yeah. Probably not, but like some of the middle of the ground. Well, it's funny. Like, I remember seeing The Dark Knight and like <laughs> they show Harvey in the hospital bed and he has bandages on the one side of his head. And uh, they uh, all of a sudden, like, I'm watching the movie and they show the bandages on the one side of the head. And then in the theater, right here. Two-Face. And like I could hear the wave of people realizing, like, oh my god, that's Two-Face. And I was no like, they called him way. Harvey Dent from the beginning of the film. Like, you should like I don't know. I mean, it wasn't I understand. supposed to be a surprise, guys. No, it's not, it really isn't. So to me, I you know, I it's all of this stuff is really shaky and i know that like as a comic book fan i'm gonna guess every you know if you're if you're adapting stuff that i've already seen in the comics i'm gonna figure out that you're adapting shit i've already seen in the comics just the way that it's gonna be so trying to obscure it um you know becomes trickier and i think for the miranda tate thing i would have rathered them like have maybe somebody else that looked more like oh like i think that that's talia you know, and then you realize like, oh no, that wasn't Talia. Maybe Talia's not in this. Oh my God, Miranda Tate is Talia. I never would have guessed, you know, like have something like that so that both sets of audiences can have the same reaction for that situation. For the Robin situation, I don't really give a fuck that they, you know, that John Blake is really named Robin. It's just such a weird move. And it doesn't connect, not at all. And actually yeah, it's, taking up taking up the mantle is enough. Yeah. And I think like that whole um that whole final 15 minute kind of like Nolan's so good at montages and uh kind of like time collages and shit, but like that whole fif last 15 minutes is great except for that like I I just think the Robin thing's very annoying, but I think him being given the coordinates to go to the cave all of a sudden like oh, we can't list a string of pearls as missing. And you're like, a string of pearls is missing. What does that mean? And then Morgan Freeman talking to the text and being like, I just need to know how I could have fixed it because he feels guilty. And the text being like, oh, well, it's already been fixed. Software patched six months ago. And you realize that like the bat had autopilot when it flew out over the bay. So like maybe Bruce wasn't in it. And then you see the bat signal has been fixed for gordon and like a heartbreaking detail for me is gordon like rubbing his hand over the the bat emblem on it and then he goes and he turns around really fast like almost like he's expecting to see batman standing there and you know that that's never going to happen but it like every time i see gary oldman like turn around like that i i just i feel it makes me so sad i just like oh god um you know and then you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt full-on finding the cave, kind of the repeat of uh, Bruce going down to the cave and Batman Begins and all the bats swarming around him. That's super cool. And then Michael Caine's Alfred going back to the banks of the Arno uh, <laughs> for a funny Branca. Uh, and like him having that fantasy that he had dreamt up early on in the film come true in front of his eyes and seeing Bruce sitting there seeing Selena seeing Selena wearing the necklace uh Bruce's mom's necklace and everything it like 
it's operatic you know everything that they're doing in those last 15 minutes is so beautiful so well done um and a roller coaster too because when you think bruce is dead <laughs> and they have like alfred like crying to thomas and martha wayne saying i'm you know i'm so sorry and i failed you and all of this stuff it's absolutely devastating um seeing the batman statue uh being unveiled is fucking unbelievably cool <laughs> like uh and also that uh that the that wayne manor becomes uh the thomas and martha wayne house for orphaned and at-risk children is just <coughs> a perfect every time i see that like little placard and all the kids running into the manor i get like goosebumps you know just feels like the most obvious thing to happen to the bat to to wayne manor you know yeah it doesn't matter how tough you are seeing michael kane cry in that scene is gonna break anyone down <laughs> dude dude painful and i think especially because we've had so much time with him we've been able to see so much with alfred and he's had such heart and and guilt on top of grief too yeah um so yeah it's a it's a it's a mixed bag. There's so many elements that I really love and there's so many elements that I really don't. And it's tough for me to, I have a hard time watching the dark Knight rises. I think I like to just kind of remember the select things that really stand out and, you know, feel perfect than to actually watch the thing as a whole. Um, I feel like the biggest difference between your viewing of the movie and my viewing of the movie is I don't have as good of an eye to see like, oh, they did it this way. They should have done it this way. Like I can point out uh, a few of the flaws, but I don't have as many corrections as you do. So I feel like I can blissfully watch it yeah. a little more easily. <laughs> now I think I think that's the big reason why I would say I definitely enjoy the movie yeah. rather not, than not. It's it's a gift and a curse. I mean, I, I <laughs> if I can parlay it into being able to write stories that people are like, wow, I really like that, then that's awesome. Uh, if I just have to sit here with that amount of kind of like story structure knowledge and then watch media, like I got to tell you, 2021, horrible, horrible fucking year for movies. I, I don't think I saw a movie that I really loved. I think the only movie I saw in 2021 that I liked um, I mean, I, I guess I'm slicing out uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Spider-Man No Way Home was fun. But other than that, I think the only other one I liked was Pig, which was uh, Nicolas Cage. I heard that was good. I loved Dune. Loved Dune. Really? I, yeah. heard, I heard that I Dune it. was like a three-hour trailer to the sequel is what I heard. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. No, I mean, I, I like I, uh, you know what I, you know what I didn't like about Dune. Side side note, what I didn't like about Dune was all of the people were cast as exactly who you would think they were. So like, Josh Brolin was like a war torn like veteran soldier that was as teaching Timothy Chalamet how to be a soldier, and then uh, Jason Momoa was kind of a cocksure braggart, like a Han Solo esque loudmouth character and you're like okay and then 
Stellan Skarsgård, who was like has made a career out of being really creepy kind of European rich dudes. I think the only movie that he doesn't play some like insidious, you know, drooling creep is the Avengers when he's like the scientist from the Thor movies. Um, but he plays the bad guy in Dune. It's just like every single person was cast as their typecast. And I was like, can we just switch this around? Like, can we make Jason Moa the drooling, creepy bad guy? Can we make Stellan Skarsgård Han Solo? You know, like, can we make Timothy Chalamet the war-torn veteran soldier that's teaching Josh Brolin how to be a soldier? You know what I mean? Can we just switch the this up? The 16-year-old veteran. It's, it's nice to see actors break their molds. Like, you know, you see, you go into a movie theater to see, like, The Rock, and, like, you already know the character he's playing. Yeah, he plays because... the same character in well, every movie. <laughs> you know why he's you know why he's called The Rock is because he has the emotional range of one. Yeah, know? yeah. Kinda like, there, there are those actors who just like they play one person and that's themselves in real life. And they just put that into every movie. <laughs> you can spot him really easy sometimes too, because every movie that Jack Nicholson is in, he's named Jack. It's oh, like, yeah, no. that's who he's playing. <laughs> he's playing himself. It's not, like they're not even trying to hide it, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, that was like my biggest complaint with Dune was I just was like, I wish that some of these casting choices were like a hair more inspired, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah I can see that, but still, you know, I, it's awesome to see an actor with some range and an actor who normally plays the uh, same role get his uh, feet wet in another one and like absolutely knock it out of the park but it's like uh it's tough to uh, they play their regular roles but they play them so well so i can't really complain about it yeah yeah didn't bother you there's, there's yeah. a re- like in my mind that like, the rock not a great actor um dave he plays the same character like he plays the same character i don't think he's that good of an actor these all these actors and actresses they played the similar characters but they crush the roles there's a reason they play characters like this yeah so i see robert de niro playing a gangster um, i just can't complain too much about it yeah no i totally get it um yeah it's kind of like the paul giamatti there it can backfire paul giamatti and the amazing spider-man too like normally he plays a quiet thoughtful intelligent guy and in the amazing spider-man 2 he plays like fucking moron and it's like i thought this would be fun but it's actually upsetting <laughs> you know like this isn't good this is really uh, and the big fat liar he played a stupid guy yeah like what 15 years <laughs> earlier <laughs> every decade and a half i play a moron yeah. uh it's the opposite of uh of of adam sandler's career Adam Sandler's every decade and a half, I play someone that's kind of smart. You, you know? kind of, yeah. <laughs> the rest that's of the time, I'm an idiot. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I think that we did a pretty good job going through everything. I don't think I, I have anything missing. Uh, yeah, uh, I mentioned everything I was uh, thinking about. Him. Yeah, John Daggett is a fun character, and I like that he is a scumbag uh, businessman that has the same last name as Roland Daggett the scumbag businessman from Batman the Animated Series. So in my mind, those two are brothers. I love Ben Mendelsohn. He's great. He's yeah. great. One of my favorite, not as well-known actors. Yeah. He, Criminally seen, so. Uh, he should be so much more known. He normally Every plays, role I've seen him in kills. 
he normally plays like a pretty shrewd kind of relatively intelligent villainous character um mm. have you ever seen killing them softly no he plays a fucking moron criminal in that movie and it's hilarious he's supposed to bring a sawed off watch. he's supposed to bring a sawed off shotgun to a heist and he gets in the car and he's like all right here you go and he puts it on the thing and Scoot McNary is the other criminal, right? And he looks down and he's like, what the fuck is this? And he holds it up. And it's the handle of the shotgun and the chamber of the shotgun. And there is no actual, like, sh- there's no actual, like, barrel. It's been sawed off to the cylinder and the shotgun shells are hanging out the front of it. He's like, what the fuck is this? And he's like, you said you wanted a sawed off. It's a fucking sawed off. And he's like, Why I didn't not? mean saw it all the fuck off. He was like, I shoot this. Everyone in the room is going to fucking die. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Hilarious. <It's> so funny. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, we're done with the Dark Knight Rises. <sighs> Next week. I mean, are you guys seeing the Batman by the time we record, like Wednesday? Well, Tuesday of next week. I don't think I will be, unfortunately. <sighs> well, if you somehow manage to come find us, I'll let you know. All right. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't wait. We were talking about the uh, Rotten Tomatoes and uh, the review embargo lifted today, and everybody seems like they're pretty, pretty on board with it. Can't wait, dude. IGN gave it a ten out of ten. Yeah, which is like a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm fucking pumped. So yeah, thank you guys for coming on and uh, joining us for the last three episodes. It's been really fun having you. And if you guys ever want to come back, talk about something, just let us know. Because yeah, thanks for having us. It's been great. Yeah, love to have you on again. All right. All right. Cool. Well, everybody, thank you all for listening to this episode of What the Fuck Are We Talking About. See you next week. Actually, we'll see you sooner than next week. We got a little surprise, probably uh, middle, in between shows. Let's say Monday of next week. You guys will hear from us again. All right. So thank you all and enjoy the Batman. Hey, people. I just want to let you all know I'm very excited about Ron Beak. 3.com so that's ron beek b-e-e-k-i-i-i.com um you know i took some time to revamp the website there's a lot of interesting things it's like a central hub there's a page about wt fada there's a page about comics it's all sorts of stuff so go check it out and tell me that i sent you uh, mm. huh.